Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in the NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. NAHU received some answers from CMS this week regarding questions we posed in a recent letter to the agency's marketing division regarding the Medicare marketing final rule that is set to be implemented on October 1st. This week also saw a new bill introduced on a very important Medicare issue, as well as the last primary elections of the season before we head into November. To discuss all of this and more on this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour are NAHU lobbyists Chris Hartman and John Green. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. Let's start today with the Medicare marketing rule, something that is undoubtedly at the forefront of all Medicare brokers and agents' minds. Last week, Marcy and I discussed a letter we sent to the CMS Division of Surveillance, Compliance, and Marketing with a few questions about how exactly this rule would be implemented. The answers to those questions, of course, are crucial for NHU to be able to provide resources to members to comply with this rule if a delay in implementation is not successful. So we received a couple of answers from the agency this week. Is that correct, John? Yes, it is. We did receive response from CMS to some very pointed questions. We had about a dozen or so specific questions. And this is because we know that you are getting conflicting feedback from the carriers. And some of it isn't even consistent with what we were told by CMS. So we did ask for some clarification on some of those issues. And we did get feedback. And I think that a couple of issues that stand out are about with regard to Zoom calls, they consider that telephonic and therefore required to be recorded under the rule. And second is what happens if a beneficiary declines to be recorded? I've seen some carrier responses that said, well, that's okay, you can just keep going. But in fact, CMS's answer is very clear, the call must stop. So this really presents a problem for people who don't wanna be recorded who they may not necessarily be in a position to meet in person because of the distance. Some agents are licensed in other states and they deal with contiguous states, people in contiguous states, and therefore, you know, it's not a practical solution for them. So we are uh, still striving to work with CMS on some of these questions. What are the next steps in our advocacy? So advocacy may not necessarily mean congressional, though we are doing some discussions on the Hill. We still are working with CMS, as I mentioned. And in fact, today we have a call at four o'clock. So what we're going to ask for specifically now from CMS is that we need written guidance. We need guidance that is published in some form that the carriers can see, that agents and brokers can see, and that keeps us all on the same sheet of music. The other thing we're going to ask for specifically is for a good faith effort for this first year. Given the lack of time that we've had to prepare for this, I don't think that two months time is adequate. 
Now, their assertion is that agents and brokers have always had to record. But when Marcy reviewed the regulation defining third-party marketing organization, she found that we were not defined as a TPMO prior to this regulation. And therefore, we did not record. And so in light of that and the lack of written guidance and so forth, I think that it's fair to ask for a good faith effort. They've done this on a number of other rules. And I don't see any reason why they shouldn't grant that. They don't seem to be in a place where they are going to delay this. But I think a good faith effort is something in light of the fact pattern here with regard to the fact that we have not ever recorded and it was two months time that they should grant that. And if you folks listening have any questions you'd like to pose to NHU staff and Medicare Advisory Group Chair Mike Smith, you can tune in to next week's Compliance Corner webinar on September 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Registration link for that is going to be in your email and an all-member email, as well as accessible on NAHU.org under our events calendar. Speaking of Medicare, we saw a new bill introduced this week that would fix a very important Medicare problem, the problem of COBRA as creditable coverage. So Chris, can you provide some info on this new bill and also how members can help get involved? Sure. So the problem that we're finding, and we're getting this by listening to our brokers who work in the Medicare arena, is somebody will come into their office asking for help with Medicare Advantage, their overall Medicare. And the problem is that they're getting penalized by Medicare for, quote unquote, not signing up for Medicare and not having credible coverage. And what we found is a large percentage of these people are people who were on COBRA health insurance. And what they uh, were doing is they were with their employer working past the age of 65. And if you're on your employer's sponsored health insurance after the age 65, Medicare does count that as credible coverage. And at some point they decide to retire. And then for whatever reason, they decide to keep that insurance known as COBRA as their insurance. And maybe this is because the deductible is paid off. Maybe it's because their spouse is on the plan. And the problem is that Medicare does not count that as a credible insurance policy, even though from the consumer's point of view, it is the exact same insurance policy they were on the day before. And what happens if if you don't get on to Medicare in a timely manner, then you get penalized for the rest of your life for not signing up for Medicare. We feel that this is fundamentally unfair because, like I said, from the consumer's point of view, it is the same exact insurance policy that they were on before. And, you know, there are good reasons to have penalties in Medicare and getting the people to sign up. We don't want people going uninsured and being free riders on the health insurance system. That may lead to people being uninsured, but showing up in the hospitals later sick and being treated and the public basically having to cover that. So there are all good reasons for this. But these are very insured people. In fact, we all know that COPRA is not that cheap. And so they're paying quite a bit. So what this legislation does would create a one-time special enrollment period, an SAP, for seniors enrolled in COBRA to be able to enroll in Part B without a penalty. And so the bill that was introduced in the House is H.R. 8791, introduced by Congressman Kurt Schrader of Oregon, Gus Filarakis of Florida, Mike Thompson of California, Lloyd Smucker of Pennsylvania, Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey, and Tim Wahlberg of Michigan. And this bill would accomplish that goal of what we were talking about. The reason there's so many lead sponsors under this is it's a very complicated issue in dealing with everything from the employer-sponsored healthcare system 
to COBRA, to Medicare. So the bill is going to be referred to the Energy and Commerce Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, the Education and Labor Committee. And the members that I mentioned that are sponsoring the bill all come from those committees. So we, we have all the committees covered and we're doing it on a bipartisan way. So we're very optimistic on, on seeing this go through. To me, this is common sense way of helping consumers who are getting trapped. And like I said, these are consumers who thought they were doing the right way. They weren't trying to cheat the system by gambling, by being uninsured and just hoping that they'd be healthy and, and then realize, you know, hoping that, or really knowing that the hospitals will take care of you if you show up in an emergency. These are people who are insured. So it's about time that we fix this problem. And do we think that Congress will consider this COBRA legislation before the midterms? And speaking of Congress, what is Congress going to focus on now that August recess has ended? So we are optimistic that this bill will get addressed. For example, in the last Congress, this bill was marked up at the Energy and Commerce Committee level. We now need to see it marked up at the Ways and Means and Education Label Committee level. I think uh, there is a strong possibility of getting this done by the end of the year. And so we will be working for a lot of momentum behind that. In order to provide that momentum, one of the things we're doing is an Operation Shout. And as you know, NHU sends out messages to all of you to contact your, your member of Congress and ask them to co-sponsor the bill, because we really need to show and demonstrate that there's a lot of support for this, and so that they understand that these are not a few isolated incidents, that it's really happening on a large scale. So we encourage everyone to contact their member of Congress and ask them to co-sponsor H.R. 8791 so that we can really build support for the bill. And so we are in the month of September now, and both the House and the Senate are back in session. Various different bills are going through. In the healthcare world, PDUFA, which is a drug regulating bill, is probably the biggest, hottest topic within the healthcare world that they're working on this September. We also need to pass the appropriations bills to keep the federal government open and running. It is unlikely that they will all pass on their own by the end of September, so it will probably involve a continuing resolution, which is something that will keep the government open for a certain period of time. I suspect that will be to some point in December. All those things are to be negotiated out. But that is what they are trying to do this September. By right now, Congress is scheduled to be in session until September 30th. And then at least the House is scheduled to go out until the election. The Senate's scheduled to come back in October. We expect that to be for a little while, but a lot of that is probably going to be more related to judicial nominations, appointments in the administration that need to be conferred by the Senate, and ambassadorships in October. So that is the real push now. And then, of course, Congress does always come back in the session shortly after the election. And that's actually where I think we are more likely to see more healthcare topics really be addressed, including things like employer reporting and COBRA's credible coverage. Uh, different telehealth issues that we've been working on. So there's plenty of issues for the end of the year that are teeing up to possibly be finished. Yeah, we throw observation status into that pile. Look, you know, there's been a lot of pent up demand by Congress to get their bills heard and that the reconciliation process just took so much oxygen out of the room that there wasn't enough bandwidth to really deal with a lot of other issues. And especially going through the committee process, as Chris described. So in a year like this, it's likely that a number of bipartisan bills could be, uh, and COBRA is a perfect example of a bill that they are well acquainted with, could be agreed to at, at the end of the year. And there are a lot of other 
bills outside of healthcare that fall into the same kind of category, the retirement bill that includes Senator Toomey's provision for long-term care that we supported. If you came to Capitol Conference, you would remember lobbying on that. And it's in the final package. So there, there are a number of things that are probably going to be pitched into a very large omnibus uh, before they leave for the Christmas holiday. Right now, they're scheduled to be here fairly late into December. That's what I'm hearing, to expect something rather large. Yeah, and that's happened several times, John, where they work right up to Christmas. Sometimes they'll go home maybe for Christmas Day and then come back between Christmas and New Year's again. It Mm -hmm. is a possibility that all of that could happen again uh, this year. There's a lot of issues that have sort of been pushed and delayed, partly because, you know, the beginning of this Congress, so much of the Congress was still being focused on COVID. So we've really delayed so many different issues that need to be addressed. The big defense authorization bill, for example, is one that still needs to get done. And so there are lots of topics that are very large and done annually that need to be addressed, expiring tax credits, other things like that, that are really sort of done annually and often usually done by this point in the cycle. But like we've lost a lot of time because of COVID. And and that's not just the American public working from home, but we've lost a lot of time because so much of Congress has been focused on COVID at the beginning of this Congress. And so um, there are a lot of quieter, more behind the scenes bills that uh, the American public's just used to having happen, like defense authorization. We obviously need a highly functioning military, but those are things that the American public takes for granted that Congress is going to get done, and it still needs to get it done this year. Speaking of Congress, the last primary elections of the season were held on Tuesday in New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Delaware. These are the last primary contests before the midterm elections in November. The most closely watched contest was the New Hampshire Senate GOP primary, where the victor will face Democrat incumbent Senator Maggie Hassan in November. So what was the result here? And what do you think this means for this New Hampshire Senate race later in November? The Cook Report is already now, as a result of the primary, has declared this a lean Democrat. It would have been at least a toss-up had the other candidate won. Instead, New Hampshire voters chose the Trump-aligned candidate who was not endorsed by President Trump, but is aligned with his thinking about the election in 2020. And so I think that's why Cook moved it to, you know, lean Democrat. I was with Leader McConnell last night, and he was hoping very much that the other candidate would win because he felt that they had a better chance. So I think that tells you something about where how this race might end up. Yeah, uh, New Hampshire is always a competitive state, gone both ways in the presidential elections, uh, currently has a Republican governor. People think of the Northeast as being fairly democratic, but once you get to New Hampshire and Maine, things are much more competitive. That's also going to be true within the House races, as it is in the Senate race. The House redistricting, after much, much fighting, uh, was finally done. New Hampshire was also the last state to finish redistricting. And it actually looks fairly similar to the existing districts, even after many maps that made it look drastically different. The governor vetoed many of those and fought back on them, even though the state legislature is both the House and the Senate of the state legislature is run by Republicans. And the governor is run by Republicans in New Hampshire. There were many disagreements there. John is right. Not only in the Senate race did the most Trump-aligned candidate win there, but in both House races, the most Trump-aligned, furthest to the right, 
candidates won those nominations. Cook is estimating that it will make it a little easier on those races. I think probably the one that's still the most competitive will be New Hampshire's second, currently with Congressman Chris Pappas. This is a seat that has gone back and forth many times over the years between both parties. Actually, Congressman Pappas is the first member of Congress in 50 years to win the seat back to back. So just two times in a row, and that's in 50 years. He broke a 50-year tradition of it going back and forth between the two parties. So undoubtedly, when you have a seat like that, with minimal redistricting, it's going to be a competitive election this November, too. So aside from the results in New Hampshire, were there any other results in this week's primaries that stood out to you? Well, obviously, any seat that the incumbent is not running for re-election is always an interesting seat. In Rhode Island, second, Congressman Langevin has decided to retire, and so the seat is open. There was a very competitive primary on the Democratic side, and obviously, we're talking about this on September 14th, so this primary is very late to decide the nominee before going into the general election. It was a very competitive primary, finally getting through with Seth Magaziner, Uh, On the positive note, he was amongst the more moderate of the Democrats there. The Bernie and Elizabeth Warren-backed candidates did not win the primary. One of the reasons this is going to be a competitive race, even though, yes, it's New England and Rhode Island has a tend to vote Democrats, is the Republicans actually all early, very early on rallied around Alan Fong. He's the former mayor of Cranston. And this really gave him the advantage of being able to run the general election from day one while the Democrats were still busy infighting in their election. So Mayor Fung has been running a general election against a variety of Democrats who've been involved in the circular firing squad for quite some time. So most political analysts do rate the race as a toss-up. Rhode Island second is the more conservative of the two seats. There's none of Providence or some of those more liberal areas in Rhode Island's in there. So that'd be one race to keep an eye on come this November. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? So this week we're going to toast to our lead sponsors, Kurt Schrader and Gus Bilarakis, who reintroduced the COBRA's Credible Coverage Bill. They have been our champions from day one, and they continue to do so even after all this time. And let's just get it across the finish line. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.